Well, we're going to begin a um, series today. We actually began it a couple of weeks ago. Caleb kind of did his his two weeks were kind of an introduction to this series. And I'm just going to call it the Reformation series. And we're going to deal with, we're going to talk about five foundational principles or what I would term the five pillars of the Reformation. And the first one we're going to look at is having to do with scripture. But before I get into my message today, I want to kind of give you a testimony. If you pay attention each week to our prayer request, you know that for the last good while, we've prayed for a gentleman by the name of George. And um, this testimony really has to do with my message today. I met George, some would say by accident, but I don't really believe in accidents. I guess I met George about, I don't know, maybe three years ago, could have been four I'm not sure, at least three years ago. Uh, I met him at an estate sale, and uh, he lived in a house outside of Manor and was selling everything, and uh, I just happened to go to this estate sale and happened to meet this gentleman, and for some reason, he asked if I could come back on Monday and talk with him, and because he found out I was a pastor, and he said, I'd like to talk with you if you'd come back and talk to me. So on Monday, I went back to his house and visited with him. And uh, <clears throat> George was the type of person, he didn't really have a filter. He, he didn't really know how to do anything except just say what came to his mind, and it came out of his mouth. And that's okay. And uh, he was very, very honest with me. Uh, about two things. One, he told me, he said, I am, I am gay, and I already knew that. Um, and he said, the second thing is, I want to take my life. I don't want to live anymore. He said, but the only thing keeping me from taking my life is I'm afraid if I commit suicide, I'm going to go to hell. He said, so preacher, tell me, if I kill myself, am I going to go to hell? And my response to him was, I'm not going to sit here and tell you that if you kill yourself, you're going to go to hell because you committed suicide. But I will tell you this, you don't have the right to take your own life. And I said, but what I'm more interested in doing is helping you find a reason to live instead of a reason to die. And so we developed a friendship and talked over the course of these years. He eventually moved out of that house and moved, eventually settled in a group home in East Austin. It was a horrible place to live. And this man, uh, though he has some family, he was alone. He had no one and felt all alone. And so we began visiting, and I knew that I could not in myself help him, but I knew that God could help him, and that's what I told him. I said, what you need is a revelation of Jesus Christ. You need a reason to live, and, and that reason to live has got to be God. To make a long story short, over the course of these years, he 
I bought him a Bible. He had a Bible. He couldn't understand it. I bought him another Bible. That was a little easier to understand. And uh, he actually began to read his Bible. And he told me, he said, I believe the Bible is the Word of God. I said, you believe the Bible is the Word of God? He said, yes. I said, so you believe everything in the Bible? And he said, well, yeah, I guess so. If it's the Word of God, I guess I should believe it, right? Problem was, he didn't really know what was in the Bible. And I pointed certain things out to him that were in the Bible. And he said, well, I don't know if I believe that or not. And uh, he said, but I guess if it's in the Bible, I guess I, I have to believe it. Because I do believe. I do believe in God. And I do believe this is God's word. But what became apparent was that he really didn't know the word of God. But as difficult as it was for him in his mind to comprehend you understand what I'm saying? Intellectually, everything he was reading, there was something about the truth of the Scripture that went into his heart. And though he didn't understand everything, he knew that it was truth. And he was a very lonely man, and he told me, he said, I, I'm lonely. He said, I live in a house full of people, but I'm lonely. And I told him, I said, there is a God, your creator, who is with you. He said, I believe that. And I said, God's promise is that he'll never leave you or forsake you. So he went from wanting to commit suicide to settling that his life was not his own to take. And that he would trust that when it was his time, God would take him. Though he let God know that he was ready. Well, George died last week. Uh, it was very unexpected. You know, we never know what's going to happen. He went in for a surgery. I, you can't really say it was routine, but it was not a surgery that they thought would take his life. He went in for his operation, and he never recovered from his surgery. And last Sunday night, about 1030, he passed on. And I was out of town when George went into the hospital, and so I talked to him before. And I, I think the, the very last conversation I had with him was really telling of what God had done in his life. And he told me, he said, you know, preacher, he said, uh, now, he said, it used to be when I would see a star, I would wish that God would send me a companion. And he would say, and I don't mean a woman. I said, I know what you mean, George. He said, but I don't want you to think that I want a companion in that way. He said, it's not in that way. He said, I just need a friend. I said, I understand. He said, but I want you to know now when I see a star, I don't wish that God would send me a companion anymore. He said, my prayer is that God would give me more light that God would give me more light. And I told George in the very beginning, Jesus is the light. He is the light of the world. And so that was his prayer. That was the last thing he told me as we discussed the scripture, that God would give him more light. And I always told him, I said, George, when it's your time to go, I said, God will take you. But until then... My encouragement to you is to seek the Lord. 
to know that he is your companion, to know that he is the God who will never leave you or forsake you. And that truth brought that man great comfort. And I think it's pretty neat what God did in his life, what God did in his life through the scripture. And that's really all I did was point George to the scripture. And this is why the scripture is so very important in our lives. As we begin this series and we look at these five foundational principles of the revelation, or the reformation, these five pillars of reformed theology are planted in the bedrock of truth that we know as the gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ. These five beliefs, these five truths form the basis of our belief and our practice. Scripture alone, sola scriptura, scripture alone. I could have given George all kinds of advice. I could tell him my opinion. I could comfort him in many different ways. I could humor him. I could affirm the things that I knew he wanted me to affirm, but I didn't affirm the things I wanted. He wanted me to affirm. I told him the truth. Even when the truth was hard and even when the truth was painful and even when he would say, you know what, preacher, I'm going to have to think about that one for a while. And I said, well, you think about it, George, but here's what the Word says. And he'd come back and he'd say, well, I see what the Word says. I don't know if I like it or not, but I see what it says. And that's okay. We don't have to like what the Word says, but do we acknowledge what the Word says? And do we invite God's Word to have entrance into our hearts and our minds to change us and to transform us? I believe my friend, George Keith Edwards, is in heaven today by the grace of God. I believe that. Not because he wasn't a sinner, because he was a sinner. But like you and I, in spite of our sin, we will be saved if we put our trust in Jesus and trust in the grace of God. Jesus proclaimed this in John 8, 31 and 32. If you abide in my word and you are my disciples, indeed, and you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. It is the purpose of this study to reveal truth that will set you free. But not only that, but truth that will equip you as a disciple of Jesus Christ to make known his gospel in the power of his Spirit to recognize that in our own life and in the life of others, what we all most desperately need is the gospel of Jesus Christ because only the gospel can set us free. Only the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. The cry of the reformers was scripture alone. On October 31st, 1517, Martin Luther, a Catholic priest and a professor at the University of Wittenberg, posted on the door of Wittenberg Castle a list of 95 propositions. 
he posted these 95 propositions in an effort to begin an academic discussion. He didn't post them for the mass public. He posted them for his fellow priest and his fellow professors to start a discussion, not a reformation. That was Luther's plan. Let's begin a dialogue. But God had another plan. This list of 95 points was produced out of Luther's great discomfort and disagreement with much of the belief and practice of the Roman Catholic Church. So you got to picture this in 1517, in the day of Luther, there was one church. There was the Roman Catholic Church in the West. In the East, there was the Eastern Orthodox Church. But for the most part, in the Western world, you had the remnant of the Roman, Catholic, the Roman Empire, which morphed into the Roman Catholic Church, and it was the church that really ruled the empire. And you had different countries with different sovereigns, but they were all really ruled under this church and this papal system. By the time Luther came around, there was no longer multiple popes. There was one pope. He ruled in Rome, thus the Roman Catholic Church. And when Luther became a professor, when he became a priest and he began to study the Scripture, he began to see that there were problems with the belief and practice of the Roman Catholic Church as they lined up with the Scripture. And so his posting of these things was the result of his study of the Scripture. And the revelation of truth from the Scriptures is reflected in the very first point of his 95. Here's what it says. Point number one was this. When our Lord and Master Jesus Christ said, Repent, He willed the entire life of believers to be uh, one of repentance. Now the Roman Catholic Church in 1517 took Matthew 4.17, which says this, listen to Matthew 4.17, from that time Jesus began to preach and to say, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. What the Catholic Church taught in 1517 was that Jesus said, do penance for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now there's a big difference between repent and doing penance. Do penance for the kingdom of heaven is at hand is one thing, but what Jesus literally said was to repent, which is a very different thing. The tradition and the teaching of the day was to do penance. So what you had was as people would go to confession with the priest, the priest would prescribe the penance that they would need to do. To do penance necessitates performing a work. To repent necessitates a change in your heart and in your mind. You follow me, church? To do penance means to do a series of works. But to repent means to change your heart and to change your mind. So when Jesus says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, he's 
telling us, he's commanding us that there must be a change in our hearts and a change in our minds. That's what the word repent literally means, to change your mind. And this was Luther's point that the entire life of the believer is to be one of repentance. So if penance If penance is a series of works, then repentance is a lifestyle of true worship. And this is what Jesus commands when he says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He's telling us to live a lifestyle of true worship with changed hearts and changed minds. Luther, in this instance, and in many others, had no choice but to follow the teaching of Scripture, even when it went contrary to the traditions of the church and the authority of the popes. Thus, the Reformer's cry of Scripture alone became a foundational pillar of the Reformation, and the return of the church to biblical Christianity grounded in the authority of the Scripture. Sometimes we may be tempted to tell people what people want to hear, but if it's not the truth, we're not helping them. We're not helping people by telling them what's going to make them feel better. We help people by telling them the truth, even if the truth may not make them feel better. How many of you know the truth doesn't always make us feel good? Jesus didn't say you'll know the truth and the truth will make you feel really good. He said you will know the truth and the truth shall make you free. So when the Reformation took place, it was not something new, but it was something true. The Reformation and Reformed theology was not the beginning of something new. It was a return to the truth, the truth of the gospel. The protest was that the hierarchy of the church had ignored the truth of the gospel to embrace decrees and traditions that were rooted in politics and power and personal ambition and even in superstitions. For Roman Catholicism, it was not that the truth of the gospel was missing. It was that it had been overshadowed and placed in a position where man-made decrees held the weight of divine authority. For Luther and the Reformers, those before him and those after him, making the authority of Scripture anything less than supreme was unacceptable. Scripture alone is the final authority concerning all things. So the Bible affirms its own inspiration, its own authority, and its own sufficiency. Listen to what the Scripture has to say about the Scripture. Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3. So he humbled you, allowed you to hunger, and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man shall not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. Jesus quotes that very scripture. It's recorded for us in Matthew chapter 4, verses 3 and 4. Now when the tempter came to him, he said, If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. 
And each time the enemy came, each time the tempter came to Jesus to tempt him, Jesus declared, it is written. He quoted the scripture to refute the devil. Something we should take notice of. Luke chapter 24, verses 25 through 27. Before Jesus ascends, after his resurrection, he appears to his disciples on the road to Emmaus, and he, he is not known to them. They don't know this is the risen Savior, and he's walking with them, and he says, well, how come you guys are so sad? And they're like, what planet have you been on? Don't you know what's happened? Don't you know that Jesus was crucified? And when he sits down with them to have bread... And he breaks bread, and their eyes are open. Then he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken, ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Jesus used the scripture to reveal himself to his disciples. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 and 17, the Apostle Paul writes, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. It is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 19 through 21, Peter writes, And so we have the prophetic word confirmed, which you do well to heed as a light that shines in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing this first, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation for prophecy never came by the will of man but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit so the word of God is the source of all things in the created order the word of God declares its own authority its own inspiration by the word of God, all things were created. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 3. By faith, we understand that the worlds were formed by the word of God, so that the things which are seen were not made by the th of the things that are visible. For this they willfully forget, Peter writes, that by the word of God the heavens were of old and the earth standing out of water and in the water by which the world that then existed perished, being flooded with water. But the heavens and the earth which are now preserved by the same word are reserved for fire until the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. Peter writes, they willfully forget that by the word of God, the heavens were. God spoke and said, let there be light. God spoke and brought everything into existence by his word. And by his word, they are still preserved. By the word of God, we are born again. 1 Peter Chapter 1, verse 23, having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible, through the word of God, which lives and abides forever. You are born, and you are born again, because God speaks, and God declares, and makes it 
So, by the word of God comes faith. Romans 10, 17, so then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Jesus Christ is the word of God made flesh. John chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. John writes, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Let me read on right there what John continues to say. He was in the beginning with God. All things, verse 3, were made through him, and without him, nothing was made that was made. Verse 14 goes on to say, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. This is the word made flesh that dwelt among us, full of grace and truth. It is by his truth, it is by his grace that we are saved. The purpose of the scripture is to reveal Christ to us. I say this very often, and I know it's a very, very much a simplification, but there really is one subject of the Bible, and it is Christ. The Bible is not just a book full of rules and regulations for you to keep and to live by. The Bible is a book given to us so that Christ can be revealed to us. The purpose of the scripture is to reveal Christ to us. The scriptures written and preserved for us is the holy inspired word of God. God does not live in a book. You understand? This Bible of mine is not magic. Your Bible is not magic. God doesn't live in your Bible but the scriptures contain the word of truth that reveal the living God that was made manifest in Jesus Christ. God doesn't live in the book, but the God of the book comes alive through the book. He comes alive in your heart and in your mind. He gives you life and God gave you this word so that you could know his life, so that you could know him, see him, hear him, be changed by him and experience his life and his freedom. The Holy Spirit takes the inspired Word of God. It takes the Scripture. It illuminates the truth of God's Word. And it reveals to us Jesus Christ, the living Word, that we may see Him and hear His voice in the pages of this written Word. Jesus said, My sheep know My voice. My sheep Hear my voice. No other will they follow. How will you know the voice of your shepherd? You will know his voice by knowing his word. By knowing his word, you will know what his voice sounds like. You will know what his word contains. You will know that when he speaks to you, when he moves on your heart, when he moves on your mind, he is moving you according to the truth of his word. The more clearly we see Christ, the more clearly 
we are conformed to his image. Romans 8, 29 tells us what our destiny is. Romans 8, 29 says, For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Very simply, if you are a child of God, your destiny is to be conformed to the image of Jesus. And that is a process that begins here and now in this life. It doesn't begin just when you're born again. Because God didn't start working in your life the moment you were born again. God knew you before the foundations of the world. This is what Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 1. He chose us in him before the foundations of the world. You're here today because of God. You're where you are today because of God. I love the song we sang today. The words of that song, have I tried to scale your walls in vain? Have I swam against the waves? All of this time, have you been with me? He is the God that never leaves us. He never forsakes us. It seems sometimes we're in between the thunder and the lightning. Sometimes we wonder, God, where are you? I'm in the middle of this storm and I can't see you. I can't hear you. I can't perceive you. Are you really with me? Have I done all of this in vain? And the answer is no, you have not. He is with you. He knows when to reveal himself. He knows how to reveal himself. He knows right where to bring you. He knows exactly who you are. He knows exactly where you are. He knows the exact moment that you need him. This is what the scripture teaches us. This is why God recorded his word for us. This is why you see in the Bible the best and the worst of humanity. Because the Bible presents to us real life in all of its ugliness, in all of its hardness. But what it reveals to us is God is with us in the midst of that, right between the thunder and the lightning. When we think we've come to our end, there is God. I met a man three years ago that was ready to come to his end. But God didn't allow that. I believe instead God took him through a journey in those years and brought him to faith in Christ so that when it was his time to go, he didn't depart this world without Christ, but he departed this world Absent from his body, he is present with the Lord. 
God is working by His Spirit to conform us to the very image of Christ. Paul prays a very strange prayer recorded in one of his letters. He says, Oh, that I may know the sufferings of Christ, that I would be conformed to His death. Who prays a prayer like that? Who wants to be conformed to suffering? Who wants to be conformed to death? Yet this is what the apostle prayed. For to suffer with him is to rule with him. Because none of us will escape life apart from death. The question is, what death will you die? Will you die a death in your sin or will you die a death in the cross of Christ and so be raised again to newness of life in Jesus? None of us will escape death. But through the death of the cross, we escape wrath. We escape eternal death and eternal separation. Through the death of the cross, we are brought into life. It's a paradox. It doesn't make natural sense. But it's a spiritual truth. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 17 and 18 says, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror, the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. The Scripture is the means by which we come to more clearly see and more clearly hear and more clearly know Christ. This happens as the Holy Spirit illuminates God's Word in our heart and in our mind as we read and study and meditate in it. The Word of God is living and powerful. Listen to what the writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews 4, 12, and 13. For the Word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. There is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of of him to whom we must give an account. You cannot hide from God. You can't hide your thoughts. You can't hide in the deepest recesses of your heart anything from him. The word of God is living and powerful. It exposes, it lays open for God to see more importantly, for you to see the true condition of your heart. The Scripture not only gives us revelation of Christ, but it gives us a revelation of ourself. It exposes all, not for our condemnation, but for our healing and our salvation. Just like a surgeon that would 
make an incision and open us up in an effort to save our life. It's not something that we would want to have happen to us, but it could be necessary in order for our lives to be saved. It is necessary for the Word of God to open you up and to expose what is within you so that you can know your need for a Savior. We will never embrace a Savior until we know we need to be saved. The Word of God recorded for us in the Scripture reveals our Savior and it reveals our need for His salvation. The Word of God is living and powerful to locate us and to save us. Do you know that you need to be saved? Do you know the true condition of your heart? Because God does. That's why this book is likened to a mirror. In the temple and in the tabernacle, there was the basin, the laver that was filled with water. It was polished silver. And that priest would go to the laver and he would look in that laver and he would see the reflection of himself. It was there not only for him to to clean himself, but it was also there for him to see the reflection of himself so that there was nothing out of place. There was nothing there that would deem him unclean, unqualified to take the sacrifice to God. This is what the word of God does for us. It is the labor. It is the mirror. It is the thing that reveals the true condition of our heart, not for our condemnation, but for our salvation. Because through the word and by the word, we will come to know our need for truth and grace that God sent to save us. You've heard it said that one man's trash is another man's treasure. For some people, this might as well be trash. Has no meaning. It's an old book with outdated beliefs just antiquated, not relevant for our day today to others, to those who believe. It is a trove of hidden treasure. Proverbs 25.2 says, It's the glory of God to conceal a matter, but the glory of kings to search out a matter. Matthew 13.44 Jesus said again, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and hid, and for joy over it, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. The Holy Spirit opens our eyes and illuminates the word of God so that we can find the treasure hidden within. That treasure is Christ. This book is not just full of nuggets of truth, but this book reveals to us the true treasure who is Jesus Christ. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, but even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, whose minds the God of this age has blinded. Why? Who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. For we do not 
preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves, your bondservants, your slaves, for Jesus' sake. For it is the God, listen, it is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who has shown in your hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. The glory of God is revealed in the face of Jesus Christ. He is the treasure that we are to seek. He is the treasure that was hidden but now is revealed. He is the pearl of great price. He is the one worth gaining by losing all. The man who sold all he had in order to buy the field with the hidden treasure. This is Christ. The scriptures are given to reveal Jesus He is the greatest treasure. He is our very life. God has given us his word so that we should see him, hear him, and know him as Savior and Lord. God did more than give us his word. He gave us his son, the word made flesh. Jesus Christ is the point of all that God the Father has done. Jesus is the point of all that he is doing and he is the point of all that he will eternally do. It is Christ we seek. It is Christ we celebrate. And one of the ways we celebrate him is by coming to the table. So I want to invite you to get ready to come to the table. Let's stand. My charge to you is that you become treasure hunters. God has given you the map, he's given you the key, and he's given you the means to find the greatest treasure that is to be found. He's given you a personal guide in the Holy Spirit, and he will take you places beyond your wildest imagination if you will immerse yourself in his word and submit yourself to his scripture. Here's God's promise to you recorded for us in Jeremiah 33:3. Call to me and I will answer you and show you great and mighty things which you do not know. Those great and mighty things are found in Christ and made known to us through the scripture as they are revealed and written on our hearts by the Holy Spirit. Treasure hunting requires effort, time and determination. Be good treasure hunters. Nurture a hunger and a taste for God's word. Immerse yourself in the scripture and in his truth and find his great and mighty things, things you do not know yet. Amen.